Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is gonna hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. The Rocky Balboa Doctrine is the Trump Doctrine, and this is Steve Lackner, the sound of sanity in an insane world, coming to talk to you about the contested and disputed presidential election of 2020. No, the media does not get to declare a president in any meaningful way. The U.S. president is only selected by 538 electors known as the Electoral College with electors apportioned based on each state's population. Now, typically, the popular vote in each state determines which candidates receive a state's electoral votes. But perhaps we may be in territory, given the margins, where those numbers are in contention. While the United States Constitution and the 1887 Electoral Count Act govern the counting of electoral votes and any related disputes. The electors will meet on December 14th to cast votes, which are then counted by Congress on January 6th in a process overseen by Vice President Mike Pence in his role as Senate President. But here is a scenario that nobody will talk about and which may be unlikely at this point but not outside the realm of possibility. And that is dueling electors. Hey, what the hell are dueling electors, Steve? What are you talking about? Well, states with close contests between Donald Trump and Joe Biden could in theory produce competing slates of electors, one certified by the governor of that state and the other by the legislature. So, for example, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona all have Republican legislatures. A couple of them have Democratic governors. But let's focus on the state of play for this scenario as of today, at least, or at least the general focus, which is Pennsylvania, to play this out. But I want to reiterate this. Legislatures can send their own slate. Legislatures State legislatures can send their own slate. Now, Reuters itself on October 16th recognized, quote, some election law experts are concerned that an unprecedented volume of mail-in votes and legal challenges will delay the outcome of the election for weeks, creating an extended period of uncertainty, end quote. Well, yes, that's where we're at, and that is allowed by the system. But we are not in unprecedented territory. In fact, one need only go back to the election of 1960. The 1960 presidential election between JFK and Richard Nixon was held a day after the election. Kennedy was referred to by the New York Times as the apparent victor, quote-unquote apparent. But it was, in fact, very close. A table on the New York Times front page showed JFK having secured 258 electors to Richard Nixon's 172. 
and the threshold may have been uh, the threshold's not important but eight states with 93 electors remain formally uncalled though the media thought that it was likely JFK would be able to secure enough votes to win but yet on November 11th three days after the election the New York Times reported Kennedy had just over half percent lead in California but that vanished Six days later, on November 16th, the Times ran a story, California is put in Nixon column by absentee vote. Nixon's half percent deficit had become a half percent surplus. By November 22nd, a full two weeks after the election, the outcome of the national election seemed somehow certain, but also not. The New York Times ran a story at that point that said tally is finished in only 10 states. They changed their tune. The article noted that Kennedy remained the winner based on, quote, unofficial returns, but that Republicans had also started to ask for recounts in a few close states. The Electoral College was scheduled to meet and vote around the country at that time at a certain date, so states had about a month to complete the counts before the appointed presidential electors were to vote. Time would be tight. The paper thought that 13 states, quote, may not complete the count until shortly before the Electoral College meets that year, December 19th. And, quote, and this year we have a banner headline on the New York Times that says, essentially, we've contacted county officials and they say there's no fraud. Well, you can contact the bank robbers and they'll tell you they didn't rob the bank. Ask Philadelphia officials whether there was skullduggery and shenanigans in the city of Philadelphia. And of course they'll tell you there was none. That's the most asinine headline I've ever heard. In fact, a number of authors assert, based on claims by individuals who were linked in one way or another to organized crime in Chicago, that the Chicago mob, usually referred to as the outfit, was responsible for JFK's election to president in 1960 by securing the state of Illinois. It is alleged that John Kennedy's father, Joseph, met with outfit boss Sam Giancana before the election and struck a deal. More recently, these claims are prominent in the blockbuster movie The Irishman, directed by Martin Scorsese. But I won't wade into that historical controversy. There was the potential... In the scenario where the media called it well before it was true, and it was well closer than the media thought in 1960, and only because Richard Nixon eventually ended up graciously conceding, did it not go into dueling or disputed electors in the Electoral College territory. But I will tell you something. Donald Trump does not reside in the refined air of the gracious loser. He resides in the thick cloud of the fighter. And this is not the first time that dueling electors in recent history were even considered, should we get to that point this year. We need only go back to the year 2000, and dueling electors were on the verge of being sent. The U.S. Supreme Court effectively halted the recount in Florida six days before the Electoral College was to meet, ruling that the Constitution had been violated by different counting standards being used in different counties. 
That being said, Republican lawmakers in the Florida legislature were on the verge of selecting a slate of electors that would back Bush over Gore when the United States Supreme Court stopped the recount. That is to say, a different slate than the governor of Florida. Or perhaps a slate that didn't match the popular vote. Potentially, if needed. It was on the verge of that. The so-called popular vote. If they believed there was skullduggery and shenanigans. But really the case of dueling electors. The prominent case in United States history is the election of 1876. The most contentious and controversial presidential election in American history was arguably the 1876 contest between Republican Rutherford B. Hayes and Democrat Samuel J. Tilden. And at the end of the tumultuous campaign, competing political camps in three states, each sent different slates of electors from their governors and state legislatures, that is, one for Tilden, the other for Hayes, to the United States Congress. Now, you cannot have, for example, Pennsylvania, which is only allowed 20 electors, to have 20 Republican electors and 20 Democrat electors. You can only have one slate. The controversy would have to be determined which slate is the correct slate. Well, go back to 1876, and the dueling slates from Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina arrived with varying degrees of authority. The Republican slate from Louisiana supported Hayes, and it was sent by the state's governor, while the Democratic slate backing Tilden was sent by a party gubernatorial candidate, believe it or not. Now let me tell you a little bit about the corrupt bargain. What was at play in the 1876 election by playing to you Michael Holt, University of Virginia history professor, and how he describes the stakes of that contest. The Civil War was still fresh in people's minds in 1876, and when the Republicans said, the damn rebels are going to get control of the national government, everything we fought for uh, is going to be wasted, uh, this was a gut issue, uh, an appeal, uh, uh, an issue with gut appeal, and, and uh, whites in the South said, uh, we're fighting uh, for white supremacy. Uh, they made no bones about it. I mean, the, uh, uh, the Southern Democrats, their rhetoric was very ugly, uh, and uh, this, this was an issue with appeal. And so this election hinged on the disputed states. If their Republican electoral votes, electoral college votes were counted, Hayes would be president. If the Democrat slates were counted, Tilden would be elected president. Bottom line, what ended up happening, what is known as the corrupt bargain of 1876. It's rather horrible, actually. The Democrats withdrew their slate. Tilden withdrew his slate of electors on a deal that the Republicans would stop their quote-unquote reconstruction efforts on the South, the reconstruction after the Civil War, 
And it was because of the corrupt bargain that the Republican Hayes took the presidency but allowed Jim Crow to rise with a vengeance. Let me make this clear. Racist Democrats accepted the result only after Republicans agreed to withdraw U.S. troops left over from the Civil War from Southern states. The compromise, the corrupt bargain, helped usher in the so-called Jim Crow area of legalized racial segregation and discrimination that would last another century. Well, a decade later, Congress enacted the Electoral Vote Act, the Electoral Count Act, that was meant to establish a roadmap for resolving disputed elections in the future. Though exactly how it would work remains unclear because of ambiguities in the language. It's from the 1880s, and it's never been interpreted by the courts or tested by the courts, and so election scholars have nothing to go off except for the text. And even if you have the text of a federal statute that was passed, it may not matter because the Constitution trumps a federal statute anyways. So if Pennsylvania, for example, is narrowed based on a SCOTUS deadline issue, which it will be, this will happen, any ballot that was counted after 8 p.m. on election day is an illegal ballot in Pennsylvania, according to the state legislature. The judges there had no authority to change those rules. Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Gorchus, Justice Alito has, have made this clear in publicly available opinions the week before the election, but Justice Alito's opin, uh, injunction, injunctive order a week before on Friday after the election requiring and dismayed that they didn't requiring that any ballot after 8 p.m. on election day be segregated such that it should not be able to count if it goes to the Supreme Court be segregated for that purpose that signals that the Supreme Court will accept a case at least on this issue and will rule in favor of Republicans. It may not be enough to narrow a ballpark 50,000 vote gap, but it certainly will be enough to narrow it by some degree. And if it really comes down to Pennsylvania as an example on a small margin, and if the legislature sends competing electors, notice that's three ifs. If Pennsylvania is narrowed, by the Supreme Court. And if it really comes down to Pennsylvania. On a small margin. Uh, you know, and if it's a small margin. I mean, there's multiple ifs. I'm not giving you false hope. I'm just giving you possibilities. We're almost certainly back in the Supreme Court of the United States. See, state law may give the governor of Pennsylvania the power, from my own research at least, which is not in clear, as clear in Michigan, but in Michigan, the gap is about 150,000 votes. So it's much bigger and, and less of a play at the state legislature. But so let's stick with Pennsylvania, which will have a very narrow gap of some sort. And the state law may uh, give the governor the power 
to appoint the electors after their secretary of state, who's a member of the executive branch, and the attorney general there is a Democrat. I mean, the executive branch is pretty much ruled by Democrats in Pennsylvania. But Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution of the United States says... Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. Referring to the electors. That's the Constitution. Well, that alone would be thrown to SCOTUS at the very least if Congress couldn't resolve competing electors. Should Pennsylvania legislature play ball? What does may direct mean? Does it mean sending a competing slate? Does it mean state laws? Does... A legislature voting or forwarding a Republican slate, is that directing? Is the legislative slate supreme? These are all good questions. In fact, in the case of Democratic National Committee versus the Wisconsin State Legislature, October 26th, 2020, right before the election, the week before the election, in the United States Supreme Court, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, wrote the following in a footnote. Article 2 expressly provides that the rules for presidential elections are established by the states in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. And he put the word legislature in italics. The text of Article 2 means that, quoting Justice Reinquist in a concurring opinion in Bush v. Gore from 2000, quote, the clearly expressed intent of the legislature must prevail, end quote. And so there is a constitutional argument that may be anti-democratic, small d, not the party, anti-democratic, that the founders placed into the Constitution are based on originalism and textualism, seems to be the simple reading of the Constitution, and certainly in line with the historical understanding of what the founders had in mind when it came to the Electoral College to begin with. Dueling electors. Have you ever heard of that? Well, you heard it here. And if it's not going to happen, well, at least you got a history lesson. But let us not put outside the realm of possibility that which is in the realm of possibility. Because levers that are not usually pulled may be pulled, because 2020, this election is not a normal election year. And let me give you some evidence, as it were, that Donald J. Trump is playing to win, and very serious about winning. You know, he removed Mark Esper as the Secretary of Defense acting Secretary of Defense. Why? Why? If he really thought he only had a month or two left, then why the heck fire Secretary of Defense? I think it indicates he really thinks he has another four years. Or at least he's confident that he does. While Posse Comitatus makes it illegal for the military to engage in domestic law enforcement... The Insurrection Act, federal law, allows the military to be called to put down mass domestic violence. 10 U.S. Code, Section 252, quote, Whenever the president considers that unlawful obstructions, combinations, or assemblages, or rebellion against the authority of the United States make it impracticable, impracticable 
to enforce the laws of the United States in any state by the ordinary course of judicial proceedings. He may call into federal service such of the militia of any state, the National Guard basically, and use such of the armed forces as he considers necessary to enforce those laws or to suppress the rebellion, end quote. Use such of the armed forces, that's the military, to suppress the rebellion. Well, on June 9th, 2020, during the height of the BLM Antifa riots, CNBC reported that President Donald Trump nearly fired Defense Secretary Esper following a disagreement over methods to quell nationwide protest, but was talked out of it, citing officials. Apparently, Trump consulted with several advisors about firing Esper. These included Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Senators Tom Cotton, Senator James Inhofe, and I assume others, and so he backed off. Nonetheless, Esper publicly broke with Trump during a Pentagon press briefing by saying he did not support invoking the Insurrection Act that would allow the president to use active duty forces to, to respond to civil unrest. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act, and quote, he added, nor should anyone really support invoking the Insurrection Act unless absolutely necessary, though it has been invoked for noble purposes. George H.W. Bush invoked it for the limited purpose of responding to the L.A. riots. And not only that, I believe it was Dwight D. Eisenhower who invoked it to ensure segregation of southern schools, which is why you have a U.S. military official in a very famous clip having the governor of the, seven, of, of the southern state in question back down when he is confronted civilly, telling him, I am coming with the authority of the United States, you have to back down. And he did. It has been invoked for noble purposes. But should Trump pull off a win? And let, let's get this clear. clear. If you want the, the play, he, let's, let's assume he, he flips or gets Georgia red. North Carolina is basically already red, already Republican. Hopefully there's another state he can pull. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ifs to this. Certainly he can do this uh, dueling electors play in multiple states. I don't know how many states would play ball. I think it would be best to narrow it if it should happen to Pennsylvania. I think that's what they really think should happen. Arizona is so close. Georgia is so close. Get those read through normal procedures. Wisconsin has a recount, et cetera, et cetera. Get it down to Pennsylvania. See if the Supreme Court numbers can flip it. If not, go into these constitutional mechanisms. And these are legal and constitutional mechanisms to combat lack of transparency and voter fraud in an election that the Founding Fathers placed into the Constitution as mechanisms for resolving election disputes. So you heard it here. Dueling electors. Should the next few weeks pass and the map not change and the Trump camp begin to pressure state legislatures with something called dueling electors, 
You'll say Steve Lackner told me about it first. Will it happen? I have no idea. But by God, it's 2020. And anything can happen. And by God, Trump is fighting to win. That's what people don't get on the other side. I believe if the legal lever can be pulled with justification based on lack of transparency, narrow margins, and outright voter fraud, then he will pull every legal avenue and mechanism, every procedure the Constitution allows. And if they do not work, then by God, he will not be president for four years. But this is no Willard Mitt Romney. No, Willard would have conceded four years, uh, four years ago. Well, he would have conceded uh, four years ago for sure. He would have conceded on Wednesday last week. He would have conceded every... All he does is concede. He's a loser. That's the point. He can only win in Utah anymore. No, we don't have Willard as the leader of the Republican Party. We have Donald J. Trump. And this is Donald J. Trump's philosophy when it comes to fighting the good fight. The more people tell you it's not possible, that it can't be done, the more you should be absolutely determined to prove them wrong. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label. Because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference. Supporters of the president, we're now all outsiders. We support the legal avenues to ensure the legal votes get counted. And maybe, just maybe, give us another four years of President Donald J. Trump. God bless you all, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you all.